Will you pray with me? God, we come before you, opening up your word. So we ask that we would come to it with ears to hear, with open hearts and minds. That you would use these words, God, to lead us into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, before we get started, we're going to have a quick participatory thing. I promise it's going to be really easy. I really don't have to say a word or a phrase, all right? So you're going to fill in the blank, and here it is. Fill in the blank. I am fill in the blank. The only rule is you're going to turn to someone, anyone, doesn't matter. You just can't say your name, all right? So go ahead. Just take a second. I am. Perfect. I love it. That's perfect. All right, so what did we say? Frank, Frank, share yours. Frank says, I am confused. <laughs> That's perfect. You should be. Oh, I am special. I like that. You said that. Oh, it's Dale. <laughs> I am awesome. You could just keep going, Dale. I mean, all kinds of great adjectives for you. They're tired? All right. Good. They've got coffee, though? So they'll make it. I'm not going to be that long. <laughs> Anything else? Confused, tired, <laughs> special. <laughs> special, can, this is you. They can go in a couple different <laughs> Just so you know. You should have chosen one that really can only mean one thing. All right. So we're kind of, we're going to come back to this. We'll see why we did this. Probably won't take us very long. We're in the middle of, you know, kind of in the Matthew's gospel here and starting into the Sermon on the Mount, um, which is really Matthew's unique contribution to the church, and so last week we were in the Beatitudes, or blessings, and so today we're going to kind of move from blessing to commissioning uh, in a section that we're going to call the URs. In the URs, we're going to be sent out to the world to share God's love and share God's blessings with others. And so as we hear from the Holy Word of God, listen to how Jesus might fill in that blank for us, and we'll come back to it in a little while. In other words, what does Jesus say that we are? All right? Hear these words from Matthew 5, 13 to 20. You are, here it is. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out, trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. All right. Some challenging stuff in there. Let's get to it. 
maybe the most famous line ever written in the Reformed tradition, the tradition that Presbyterians come out of, is the opening question and answer of the Westminster Catechism. And it asks, what is the chief end of humanity? And then it answers the question with this. It says, humanity's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. And so in order to glorify God and enjoy God forever, we're simply going to have to learn to become what we already are. And so Jesus takes these sayings, which were originally given to Israel, and he applies them to every single one of his followers. And that's why we can call these statements the you are's. He says, you are the salts of the earth. You are the lights of the world. A really simple but important point here is that salt and light is who we are, he says. Not simply who we ought to be, not simply who we should be or even could be. These you are's remind us that Jesus actually has a really high view of us. They remind us that we matter, that we're important, that we're useful, maybe even needed in order that God's glory might be seen by the peoples of the world. And so if Jesus has this high regard for the church, then so should we. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt preserves, it purifies, it adds flavor. The discovery of salt's power was actually a huge step forward for civilization. It was humanity's original refrigerator, right? It was used to preserve both food and bodies. And it was so valuable this, I, I did not know this before. It was so valuable that Rome actually used salt to pay their soldiers because if it, it was of equal value per ounce to gold. That's pretty incredible. Now, the fascinating thing about salt is this. It doesn't exist for itself. And I remember three and a half years ago when we first opened, we were talking about this because our theme verse comes uh, for Light Shine actually comes out of this passage And I made this really ridiculous remark, and I remember Michael Lindroff was listening and made the French fry. Um, And I made this ridiculous remark, and I'll never forget it because of Michael. Um, I said something like, salt one centimeter away from a supersized McDonald's French fry is totally worthless, right? And so it's just as ridiculous today as it was three and a half years ago, but it's also true. Salt's mission is to connect to your food. And that's what we're talking about with the church. We, as the church, do not exist for ourselves, but rather, like salt, we exist to connect closely to a world that Jesus sends us to. And so, disciples that remain one, just think about this, disciples that remain one centimeter away from the real needs of the world are useless. Not able to fulfill their function, their purpose. Disciples of Jesus not living for those outside themselves are going to have a really difficult time fulfilling their purpose. And so Jesus can ask this really tough question. He can say something like, you know, what good are we if we cease to be what God has made us? Jesus is challenging us to stay salty, to continue to be what we already are. You are the light of the world. When we live as a light to the world. We live in such a way that reflects the good news of the kingdom of God that broke into the world and Jesus and is moving 
toward completion someday in the future. And Jesus is reminding us that we're valuable. If the world is not to be left in total darkness, then those who profess to follow Jesus must fulfill their calling to represent this kingdom by shining a light in the darkness that reveals who God is and it reveals what God is like. And so he says, you are light, but you're not light for the church. You're not a light that shines on yourself or your accomplishments. Jesus says, you are a light for the world. And so the church shines the brightest when its beams of light are focused on Jesus. And so the church is one of a kind. Really, there's nothing like it in the world. And the church is God's plan. God's strategically placed the church on the planet to turn the lights on. And an interesting fact is by the time uh, Matthew actually wrote his gospel, the church was so small, it wasn't significant in size, numbers, or even influence in the Roman Empire. And yet the mission was a global one. And from the very beginning, the bar is actually set really, really high. You are a light for the whole world. Imagine what it must have been like to hear words like this with such an insignificant, small group of people. But today, the witness of these early disciples has now reached every continent on the globe. And the fascinating thing in my mind is that this once small and local mission that had global aspirations has now, in 2017, actually returned to a re-emphasis on the local. It's said today that the world's largest mission field is right here in our own backyard. Within Western culture, that's lost its Christian roots, that's forgotten the biblical story. And so light is our function. It's who we are. And perhaps maybe the most important place that we can shine brightly is right here in the Caneo Valley, where we live, the places we work, and where we play. This is the place that God has started what we call light shine. And Jesus' words validate our mission today as they encouraged the church 2,000 years ago. And so a lamp is designed to be placed on the lampstand, not hidden under a basket. And this would have reminded those who heard these words of something really important. It would have reminded them of the tabernacle. And one of the few pieces of furniture that God actually commanded to be placed in the tabernacle was the lampstand. And so God gave really specific instructions about how it was to be built and where it was to be placed, and it was really clear about what its purpose was. The lampstand was strategically placed in the tabernacle to uh, illuminate what's called the shoe bread, or the bread of presence. And so the purpose of this light was simply to do one thing, shine on the bread that represented God's provision in God's presence among the people of Israel. And so the church still exists today for the purpose of shining a light in the darkness that highlights God's goodness. It's a light that reveals God's Son and reminds the world that God has not abandoned it, but is actually really present in the presence of the risen Christ and present among the world in his church. And so a city on a hill cannot be hidden. If we remain who we are, already are, then the people around can't help but take notice. And so the purpose of our lives, the purpose behind what we call good works, that Jesus challenges us to, 
is actually to illuminate the God behind the good. It's to help those who know nothing about God see God, perhaps even for the very first time. And so we glorify God with our lives when we remain exactly what we are. When we are salt, when we are light, we bring glory to God. And Jesus ensures us that we will enjoy God forever. And so as I kind of look over the next couple of weeks here, we're actually moving from the blessings, the beatitudes, from this sending for mission to hearing some really challenging teaching of Jesus. First, Jesus blesses us. And the order of this is important. First, we're blessed. Then we're sent. And then we're challenged to live differently than the surrounding culture. And in short, Jesus is going to challenge us to be a people of the book. He said at the end of this that he didn't come to abolish the law and prophets, but rather to fulfill them. To fulfill literally means to raise up or to put in place. And so Jesus is raising up the importance of the written word of God, the holy scriptures. And so it's interesting that some in Jesus's time were actually accusing him of abandoning the Hebrew Bible and doing something entirely new and different. And yet Jesus vehemently held on to the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. His life was immersed in the scriptures. He knew them backward and forward. He lived his life under the direction of the words found there. And so this is what it meant to Jesus to fulfill the law and the prophets. The Jews were, and they still are, known as a people of the book. And so to fulfill the book is simply to live by these life-giving words. And Jesus has fulfilled the law and the prophets perfectly as only Jesus could do. And so the challenging teachings that we're actually going to get into in the next couple of weeks, I see them more as an invitation, not a hammer. They're going to be a little challenging, but I think they're an invitation, and I hope we see them that way. Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then live the words of scripture. Teach them. Stay close to Jesus by taking seriously these life-giving words. Whoever lives these words will be called great. Whoever breaks them and teaches others to break them is called least. There was a Peanuts cartoon, and it showed Peppermint Patty, and she was talking to Charlie Brown. And she said, guess what, Chuck? The very first day of school, and I already got sent to the principal's office. And she pointed her finger at Chuck, and she said, it was your fault, Chuck. He said, my fault? How could it possibly be my fault? Why is it that you say that everything is my fault? You can just see him doing this. And she said, well, you're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? And he said, yeah. She said, well, you should have been a better influence on me. (laughs) Well, Peppermint Patty was pointing the finger. Uh, She was passing the buck, but she wasn't entirely wrong either. We should be a good influence on our friends. We should raise up this book like Jesus did. We should teach it to our families, to our kids. We should live it out in front of people that we know. 
We are always some type of influencer, and the question is, which kind of influencer will we be? This is why we read and study scripture together. It's why we carefully preach and teach it. It's why we teach it to our kids, because Jesus raises up this book and he invites us to live our lives by it, because we will look like a shining city on a hill that cannot be hidden. When we raise up the book like Jesus did, others will come to see God's face. I think the problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, whom Jesus criticized, and those whom the prophet Isaiah criticized in the passage that Wendy read for us, I think they might call it showy religion. There's a lack of authenticity, almost like they were wearing a mask. And so I actually found this. This is a real picture of a mask from the first century. In ancient Greece, they had these theatrical events and plays in these large amphitheaters. They didn't have any microphones to make their voices heard, or they didn't have any cameras to magnify their images, so they invented this really cool system of masks. The mask uh, made them look like the characters that they were portraying. And so when the actors got on stage behind these masks, they became somebody else, somebody different from who they really were. And the Greeks actually called these type of actors, anyone? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. That's right. That's right. Now, we don't always intentionally put on the mask of the hypocrite like a Greek actor. But we've all worn the mask before. That's why we have times of confession, right? And the problem is that if we wear this mask all too often, we actually forget who we really are. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees had become like actors on a stage wearing the mask of the hypocrite. They had actually forgotten that they were salt and light. And it's no accident that that passage from Isaiah 58 was paired with this uh, gospel text from Matthew. In other words, the manner in which we go about being salt and light is also really important. In the Isaiah passage, he critiqued the fast. Fasting was this kind of ritual mourning, and there were these really impressive public occasions. And the prophet was pointing out a huge problem with Israel's fast. They were all show and no go. In their fasting, they had forgotten that religion not only connects people to God, it also connects them with one another. That relationships are important because people are watching our behavior. These fasts were led by people wearing the masks of the hypocrite. It had devolved into a stage show, and what was most important, real people, real human need, these things had been completely forgotten. And so religion had become a performance and a relationship with other people neglected. The fast that's acceptable to God is not just going without food for a day or two, but rather adopting a lifestyle in which self-indulgence and greed are permanently given up and replaced with generosity. And so the paradox of a life of faith is that we're blessed in order to become a blessing not for ourselves, but for others. That through giving, Jesus says, we receive. That we gain our lives by laying them down. The only repentance that seems to mean anything to God is the kind that can be seen in how we treat one another. 
how we live our lives, particularly among the poor. And so it's not about observing the ritual. It's more about a transformed life. It's about being who we already are. It's about learning to become useful. It's about salt that connects to its food to add flavor. It's about a light that shines to illuminate Jesus so that others can see him more clearly. It's about living as a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. It's about us as individuals. It's about us collectively as Lightshine trying to connect to our community in such a way that God is glorified so that we can enjoy God forever. We won't do this perfectly, but we can take off the mask because Jesus, who has gone before us, has already done this perfectly, and Jesus invites us to simply be who we already are. So we're going to finish where we started. Turn to the same person and fill in the blank. And confused, and confused is not acceptable on this one, Frank. I'm just giving you the heads up. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, you call us salt, you call us light, and yet too often we put on a mask. And so God, we ask that you would help us to take it off, help us to be what you've already made us to be. May we connect better to those around us. May we shine brighter to better illuminate your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.